very stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! It's episode 55 of the Motorsport 101 podcast, and because Hamilton's got a 55-place penalty, I'm recording this podcast from France. Hello and welcome back to episode 55 of Motorsport 101. I am your friendly neighbour and host, Mr. Andre Harrison. Pleasure to have you with us once again. Now, we're doing things a little bit differently this time around. Um, hopefully it'll work out. I'll be honest, we've kind of rushed this one. <laughs> but us being the professional broadcasters we are, we are totally going to wing this and it'll come out beautifully. But first of all, we've got to introduce our, our usual co-hosts. First up, Mr. Adam Johnson. Hello. It's, bit, it's uh, I guess, overall, like, both on track and off. If Carlsberg did weekends, they wouldn't be this one, but they'd be pretty close. It'd be, it'd, be, it'd be pretty good. It'd be, it'd be a solid Fosters. Um, <laughs> and on the other <laughs> side of the scale, um, from America as ever, Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yeah, great, great motorsport weekend. I mean, wish Simon Pagano did a little bit better in Texas, but can't ask for much more. <laughs> like, what is it with you and your backing in the French, King? <laughs> well, Nico Rosberg's not French. Oh, <laughs> whatever close enough close enough <laughs> we'll go with that. that sounded really stupid there actually God. that was that was not my finest hour but um welcome back to most 101 we're gonna get the plugs in, in good and early so you guys know where to find us our main way of backing the show is on patreon so if you really really like us by the time this podcast ends you can go over there and back us over there some really cool perks you can get on top of that as well um if you can't support us financially of course that's totally understandable you can always follow us on our other forms of social media. We are on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We are on YouTube for exclusive content and highlights. You can go over there at youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. You can check us out on our individual Twitters as well at Harrison101HD. Adam is at AJ underscore Bombersports and Ryan King is at Ryan Eric King. That's with two Ks. And, um, just a quick note, we are going to have our own exclusive Twitter for the podcast very soon. So by next week, we'll probably have that. Um, just stay tuned on that one for the time being. Now, to basically, before we get into the main meat and potatoes of this episode, and obviously the two big races we, we mentioned, the Formula One in Belgium and IndyCar at Texas, we're going to introduce a new segment. Basically, the Olympic discussions were so popular, thanks to Adam Johnson's restraining order on Laura Trotz, we have now been legally advised to have sure. an extra segment at the start of the show every week. We're calling this segment Keeping It 101, where we're going to talk about things that aren't necessarily motorsport related, but still kind of cool to talk about anyway. And to, to start this off, um, you may have seen this on Twitter Um Earlier this, um, earlier this week, well, maybe earlier last week, technically speaking, but Sunday for the Grand Prix, my house got invaded by a certain Adam Johnson. You may have seen that. Isn't that right, Adam? <laughs> I, I mean, you invited me over. I didn't just storm the house. Be like, down on the ground now. We are watching the Grand Prix. Get down, motherfucker. I got swatted, <laughs> I got swatted by AJ Bomber Sports. <laughs> um, uh, no, no, but no, we, no. it was also involved in me... Uh, 
selling you my old camera, which filmed most of my stop motions on T-Mobile Sports, yeah, so you so can I've, do stuff with that. Yeah, I forgot to mention that I have I have bought Johnson's old DSLR. It's a, it's a uh, gold box in front of me now. It's a Nikon D5200. Um, it's so not actually. That's the box that my new camera came in. It's a D3100. Oh, fuck you. You said you were giving me hand-me-down boxes. I didn't even know that. <laughs> that false advertising. At least I didn't lie about what model I you got. I want my money back. <laughs> promise you, I did, I did promise him that it was a D3100. <laughs> I forgot to read the small print. Who does that? Uh, but uh, Johnson was around his house. I've got a new camera, so expect a lot more video and, you know, my face for radio being featured much more predominantly on the YouTube channel in the coming weeks. I have no idea how to work this thing, but I will eventually get around to it. Johnson will probably come around and give me 115 lessons on how these cameras actually friggin' work. They're far too complicated. But um, we... Generally we, how this thing works. Yeah, we hung around. We watched the Grand Prix. We ate a, a ridiculous, almost sickening amount of pizza. Um, um, that was good. Yep. Yeah, shout out to Rocco's Pizza in Southall. They are fantastic for what it's worth. Mm. Um, well worth the money. Um, but uh, we watched the Belgian Grand Prix together, and then we went to Hammersmith together. Um, we we snuck into their university to watch to watch the Robot Wars Grand Final. Um, that was an experience, Johnson, to say the least. Like I've never seen you drink so much Malibu in one shot. <laughs> it was Jack Daniels, actually. Um, oh, cool. Uh, basically, what happened is I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show before. Uh, me and a few of my friends have this like little group, uh, which basically started because one of the uh, one of the people actually lives in the flats uh, at Hammersmith. They're like student uh, accommodation. I think they're for all sorts of universities, but um, mainly it's for the university i think of west london maybe uh and she happened to mention after the first episode of the series that there's a screening room downstairs it's basically a mini cinema it's got beanbags sofas oh, yeah. uh, big Very cinema cool. screen sound surround sound uh heating turned up way too high and then locked which was fun last night mm-hmm. um but ever since then i've been going over there with a bunch of people to watch every week um and of course for last night a i decided to invite dre along because hey he's about as big a robot wars nerd as i am mm-hmm. and b uh, it's the grand final, so alcohol was involved. Um, or in Dre's case, he was in the spirit of drunk. Yeah, so, so, for, for whatever, I, I don't drink alcohol for the record, so yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was watching other people get drunk. Quite frankly, just as entertaining, seeing like a very sweaty Johnson walking around drinking his own body weight in Jack Daniels like he's a, like he's a member of Epic Mealtime or something. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. It, 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 wasn't, it, was, it wasn't pretty, but uh, we, we got there in the end. Well, I'm not going to give tell you what, how good was the show. It was a, it was the best show of the series, and it, it's, and for what it's worth, I'm, I'm not going to give away any major spoilers because I don't want to spoil it. Obviously for King and obviously for anybody else that was on the internet, um, well, I've not seen the final yet, but it was a tremendous final. The battles were fantastic. I want to say the best robot won. Um, I'm not going to say who for obvious reasons, but it was a... Let's put it this way. The two best robots were in the final and they could barely separate them. Absolutely. Um, And there was a couple of key game changes in that in said grand final that uh, made it a very, very interesting fight indeed. Wouldn't want to be... Wouldn't have been the judges on that situation at all. (laughs) But but, um, I will say it was a tremendous final and overall, I think the perfect cherry on top of what's been a fantastic fantastic reboot for the series in general I, I well i think me and johnson have got something special in the works in terms of content regarding this series we're going to do down the road at some point yep but 
to 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 keep it brief, it was. Uh, I think I think this reboot struck the chord of just about everybody out there. I mean, the the feedback and the reaction on the internet has been superb for the series. I've I've, I've it's been almost universally positive. Um, overall, I think the series was fantastic. Um, and I've not really got any major negatives I can draw on at all for the show. Um at all um you know shout out to Dara O'Brien shout out to Angela Scanlon shout out to the entire crew they were all tremendous all the teams are fantastic the the and the way they produced the series I was very very much a fan of it as well they managed to change the dynamic and change the entire shall we say atmosphere and structure of the show but it's still it still resonated with me and I was very impressed by that so BBC- they basically made a robot wars that that's our 10-year-old selves would have enjoyed on a nostalgia trip and our grown-up selves also enjoyed too. Just as a TV show in general, I thought, I thought, oh, it, helped. It, was great. I thought it helped. I literally, like 10 minutes after the end of the episode, after the end of the series, I just looked at Dre and went, it's 2016 and we just watched a new series of Robot Wars. I know. And it was really, really good. Like, it's just so surreal. Like, I could have told my 11-year-old self in uh, 2003 or, well, it would have been 12-year-old in 2004 I could have said, hey, don't worry, they'll bring this back in 12 years' time, and he'd have gone, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just surreal. Like, this had no, this almost had no right to be good, and it was so much better than I think anyone dared to believe it could be. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't argue with that um, in, in the slightest. Again, only very minor critiques across the board, and just, again, just a fantastic show, and and I'm I'm more than down for a second series of this, oh, and yes. I think just about everybody is. Dara Breen kind of hinted at it a little bit, um, saying there's no official word yet, but he seemed he seemed to be very hopeful there was going to be a second series, and I think the BBC would be fools not to have another series next year because I think again there is clearly an audience for this. It's in the in the slot it was on. It did very well, and again the 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 feedback from people that have watched has been almost overwhelmingly positive so um yeah uh overall i think i think it was very very much great indeed um king have you got anything you want to keep it real with before we get into the real show (laughs) keep it real with uh Probably since I wasn't here last week, due to unfortunate technical difficulties. <laughs> Laptop died. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, oh god, brief story about my laptop. Mm. It was supposed to be ready in time for the show. The repair shop told me it would be ready in time for by Wednesday. We recorded that episode on a Thursday. Get shown to the shop on Wednesday, and we're like, so, um, it's not going to be ready, but it could be ready by tomorrow morning and I, I call them in the morning and it's like it's still not ready yet bro it's still not ready yet and I did not get it back until the Sunday of the Belgian Grand Prix oh my <laughs> like any cheap laptop repair shop will tell you that like whenever they tell you it's fixed always add a two day margin of error on it <laughs> it's never quite done when they, when they tell you it's done <laughs> It happens to me. It happened to me all the time. Whenever I was in, um, when, when I went to my local repair shop, because for those guys that know my YouTube history, I went through a lot of laptops, <laughs> and so you know, <laughs> it can it can most definitely be a problem. <laughs> but uh, King, it's back. I'm guessing it's in full working order. <laughs> yes, it's actually better than when I sent it in. Like, actually, it's better before you know it broke. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, they upgraded it for you then. 
Yes. <laughs> does, does it not connect to Skynet? <laughs> no, it does not have connect to Skynet. One thing I want to talk about, since I wasn't on that that episode, mm-hmm. is the IndyCar calendar. I am, yes. I am excited. Yet, you know, hopeful that things will build on upon next year. That is the added gateway, mm. uh, gateway raceway park to the, I mean, gate, yeah, whatever they call it now. I, I still yeah, call gate, it gateway raceway gate, park. It's giving us gateway motorsports park, I want to say, but um, <laughs> don't, don't, don't quote me on that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they have yeah. gateway, like, I, I want to see more ovals on the calendar, especially since, like, the last couple street courses they added in has have fallen through you know baltimore at boston this year and i know earlier at the year they hinted that indycar wants to go to to oklahoma city they want to go to okc on the other side i mean in oklahoma but it's like mm, to me i just want some more ovals i want chicago land back i want milwaukee mile back like if i if i had to say they had to add a street course i'd say they need to add the cleveland airport back. oh yeah <laughs> You utter fanboy, Cleveland Airport. <laughs> For God's sake, King, how old are you? <laughs> Actually, no, I'm right there with him. Oh, shut up! Shut up! Shut just, up! Just for the just for the visual of twenty wide into the first turn. <laughs> yes, twenty wide into the first what? corner. Just the visual of Helio Castroneves going mad at willpower again. Like, like I am here for this. But um, yeah, I mean, just how many ovals do you want on this calendar, King? <laughs> oh God! Like, let's see, Milwaukee, Chicago. Chicagoland, Kentucky, and maybe Kansas Speedway in Kansas City. So that'd be like four more than what's currently on the calendar. Did you, uh, has the name Michigan been mentioned at all? Uh, like, obviously I'd love to see Michigan and its sister track Fontana back, but... Bring back Fontana, <laughs> goddammit! <laughs> I, I haven't heard anything about Michigan. I, I think it's more like when it comes to the Detroit area, they're more settled at Belle Isle. They don't want to go like to, you know, suburban Brooklyn, that Michigan. Is true, yeah. yeah. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. That, sa- that sounds reasonable enough to me, but uh, glad, glad to see that King is also enthusiastic for the calendar. And it does genuinely seem like. IndyCar has a plan with this calendar going forward. There's definitely more of an oval feel to it, and they've they've already said that every track on the calendar has got long-term deals in place beyond 2017, which is also a good sign in terms of consistency. So, yeah, like one thing that I always find surprising, like even since the the quote-unquote merger between Champ Car and IndyCar, the oval races always get higher TV ratings than the road course races. That is interesting. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, given what happened last weekend, I think it's quite easy to see why they can very well have that sort of potential. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, yeah, I can I can definitely see that be, being a thing. So, now we've kept it real, let's talk about the Formula One and let's talk about... Ooh, one more thing. Oh, go on, Johnson. One more thing. One more thing and keep it at 101. Go on. After I was coming home... Well, when I was on the tube home from the Robot Wars final, it's there's very few things that stop me watching NASCAR, but Robot Wars was one of them. Mm-hmm. And of course, who wins his first bloody race in the race that I'm not watching because it's Robot Wars on? <laughs> it's only bloody Carl Larson. <laughs> the Wonderkind. And literally, it was, it was Marcus Hoare, who's a friend of the show, who tweeted me and was like, can someone check on AJ? Carl's finally done it. And I'm like... I literally was like fist pumping on the tube. <laughs> it was like half empty, but the people that were on that tube were like, 
wow, that guy's very happy for 10.38 p.m. on a Sunday night. I was like, you yes. have no idea. He was abnormally happy. I, I, I had to sit there on the... T- <laughs> oh, Simply because yeah, at this point was- in time, Carl Larson, when Carl Larson will get his first win, is almost like NASCAR's equivalent of when's Nico Hulkenberg going to get yeah. his podium. Yeah, like, Dre, <laughs> just so you know, up until last Sunday, in his three... Like, this is his third full season in the Sprint Cup, uh, he had nine top three finishes. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and, and especially right now in the sort of win on your in era of the chase. <laughs> damn, you need wins more than ever. Jesus. Yeah, wins are everything. <laughs> so nine seconds in third places, but no win. He's basically Nick Heinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> well, not anymore. He's finally got that win. And Sorry, it was Nick. so good to see. Like, I ended up... I ended up watching the final 10 laps again, like a rerun on uh, on the when I got the train back home to Swanley, and it, it was good. It was good stuff. So, but, I mean, King, the chase for this year is looking very interesting considering we have, what, 12, 13 drivers locked in? Yeah, 13 drivers locked in on wins. Plus, uh, you could have uh, Larson v. Chase Elliott in the chase. <laughs> oh, that'd be good stuff. And the interesting <clears throat> thing is, some of those guys locked in now because Tony Stewart's climbed back into the top 30 in points after his injuries early in the season. He's got a win. He's in. Chris Busher is seven points to the good in the top 30. He's got that shock win at Pocono. He's in. Like, this is one of the most balmy chase grids ever. And we've still got three slots potentially open. Yeah, Before. and it's and it's like the like the all like the playoffs that everyone wants to see. You get you got Jimmy in the chase. You got Denny Hamlin. You got both the Bush brothers. You got Brad Keselowski. You got Kevin. Har- you got Kevin Harvick. Which last year's chase does not mention that. It's gonna be one <laughs> hell of a chase. <laughs> the format still sucks. Next, yeah, format still sucks. <laughs> but the drama, though, the drama, the drama. I mean, what I've said before about the chase format as it stands is that logically, it's the dumbest fucking thing in all motorsport Mm. but on a purely emotional dramatic yeah kind of wwe-esque level if you can check your it's almost like the fast and furious series at this point if you analyze it in any way it completely falls apart but if you literally go brain hang out over there for two hours I, I'd directly compare this to, like, WWE and the Royal Rumble. Like, to determine who's, like, the number one contender for the championship at WrestleMania, like, the Royal Rumble is, like, the most ridiculous thing. But it's so extravagant and so over the top that you can't help but watch. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. <laughs> I see. I see. I'll let you boys have your fun. Let's talk about the Belgian Grand Prix. Oh, boy. Now this Do we is- have to... This 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 was kind of captivating, really, for all the wrong reasons. Um, I'll tell you what, it was enjoyable watching it with you. I feel like it was more entertaining because we watched it together. Sorry, King. Yeah, I just swore at everything. Like, like just. <laughs> I was like, F this, Literally, F let's that. talk. Let's F- talk about that start, shall we? Just Dre sat there, like, oh, this is a good start. This is a good start. This is going. No, fuck's sake! And then there's me going. Is that Hulkenberg? No, is that Perez in third? No, that's Hulkenberg. He's third. Verstappen's limping. Hulkenberg's second. That's the actual noise I made. (laughs) It was. It actually was. Oh, just... I don't want to talk about this. But it happened. I mean, Nico Rosberg qualifies on pole. He actually had a bit of a harder time than people would imagine because Verstappen and Riker have put up some pretty good laps to get themselves within a couple of temps. But uh, Rosberg starts, gets a clean break. He's off into the distance. And 
Verstappen gets a terrible launch from second, which is weak as he was on the super soft tire to start. You thought he'd be, you thought he'd have better traction off the line, but he, he, he has a misfire. He does not start particularly well. Vettel is sweeping around the outside. Verstappen is beyond the curb at the source now. He's got he's got two wheels on the on the rumble strip, um, very close to the wall. Kimi Raikkonen is in a free wide sandwich at the apex, and. Raikkonen's got nowhere to go. Verstappen loses a, a chunk of his front wing. Kimi's car, uh, remarkably, is pretty much... Uh, well, not okay, because they, 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 they destroyed the underfloor of the car. They had to go for a pit stop. And Vettel's spun out <laughs> from from the back as well. It, it's all sorts of carnage. As you, as you heard, Nico Hulkenberg got up to third. Ricardo was up to second. Um, <laughs> where do we even begin with this one, King? <laughs> oh, I... I want to start at Verstappen because it, it, to me, it feels like the whole situation between the Ferraris would have been a lot, you know, less damaging to their races if Max Verstappen wasn't involved. Most likely. I mean, Verstappen, he, he went like, I, I could see what he was trying to do, but I don't think he had any real chance of making that stick because the line he was taking was so narrow. He'd have to have gone so so slow around the apex of that corner that like Vettel probably would have if Vettel would have probably swept around him and, and, and be second by Ravalon more unlikely but yeah <laughs> but you know Verstappen's car is there Vettel's trying a pretty sweeping line through turn three obviously he's going to take as many liberties as he can Raikkonen's got nowhere to go it's chaos and yeah, I mean, I don't want to apportion blame for this one because, like, it's hard to pin blame on anybody for a turn one incident, especially when there's almost no rundown to said turn one. Um, it's pretty much if you have a shitty launch, God rest your soul, basically. Um, yeah, like to me, Max Verstappen was over aggressive, but it like it wasn't it wasn't anything worth you know penalizing or having an investigation over. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, you're always going to get people going right hard on the first turn because they know it's one of the best chances of the entire Grand Prix to make up position. So Though I, I feel should like let the, whole, the listeners the know story. now, I do have some problems with Max Verstappen, which we'll probably discuss e- later. Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, yes. I think we all do. We'll get to oh, that, oh, Mr. Yeah. Verstappen. Mr. I don't think I have any problem. Me, sir? No, sir. That's everyone else, sir. No, everyone else has the problem no, with me, no. not me. John, John, Johnson, you should be ashamed of yourself for making those comments. <laughs> of course, Mr. <laughs> I just did an entire Dre brief about this. Um... No, but the whole story of that first corner. (laughs) Wait, the the, the first corner instant for me is summed up as if either guy on the left or right isn't there, we don't have this issue. Agreed. Because basically it's almost like Vettel turned in expecting Raikkonen to have room to move on the inside. Yeah. Verstappen goes in on the inside that hard. He's going over the rumble strips and sort of understeering off because he's jumping over them. Yeah. But he's like, it's okay. Raikkonen's got room to move. No, he hasn't. So, or was it? Yeah, was it Raikkonen in the middle? Raikkonen yeah. just sat there like, lads, you, I can't disappear. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> it's it, it's basically like a really shitty accordion player at this point. It's like it's, it, they've all just come together, and yeah, it's 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 chaos. And next thing you know, they're all down the back of the field. Lewis Hamilton's f- smiling to himself internally, like, yes, I got a first quarter break, and the race continues. I mean, there was. I mean, they had to go from the back of the field, basically. They all had to pit for, for you know, to fix their cars, respectively. Again, no, nothing terminal, luckily, in, in this case. All just superficial damage that could have been repaired in a pit stop. 
They go on. Um, at this point, we go, oh, yeah, Rosberg's got this in the bag then. Nico Hulkenberg is somehow in second place. Um, <laughs> um, we're, we're all still kind of in I'm shock going nuts. Yeah, yeah, Johnson's lost his damn mind at this point. Ricardo is third. And about five laps later, Kevin Magnussen. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> oh, this was ugly. The, Kevin uh, Mag- Like, people forget why people, like... People think that, oh, oh, Rouge is so easy. Anyone can do it. Why do people love it so much? Yeah, can I just point out, Tiffany Dell, because you're the one I rem- I'm not picking on you personally, uh, but you're the one I remember you specifically saying this. Oh, Rouge is not a fucking straight line, flat out fest. It it's still not. one of the most challenging corners in the world. Kevin Magnussen, QED. QED. <laughs> and Kevin Magnussen has a, he drives over the curb at Oh Rouge. He has an enormous snap of oversteer. Note, this is at 190 miles an hour. <laughs> he has an enormous snap of oversteer. He spins it. Obviously, there's no way in hell he's going to correct that. Um, he would, you would need about another two miles of runway um, with a great big brown line going down from the underside of the car at this point. But yeah. uh, he, he's gone hard into the, into, into the barrier at the top of Eau Rouge. Um, safety car came out. Um, eventually it was red flagged because the barrier needed time to be fixed um, no problems with it where that's concerned completely sensible decision where that was luckily Magnussen was able to walk out of that um, again only a sore ankle luckily um, Magnussen has since been released from hospital he will race in Monza um, by the time this goes out but luckily it was it was nothing serious he, he walked out of the car under his own power I thought that was just incredible um, and again a testament to these cars I mean that car was a complete yeah. utter write off and he's walking out of it like it's no big deal <laughs> well um, it wasn't it wasn't no big deal at first he was walking on his own just fine then the like the adrenaline just wore off and he like, needed oh, someone I, to help because of his ankle it's like, it's oh, like my foot, oh shit man. I hurt my ankle it's like oh my foot <laughs> <laughs> His, his foot just completely gave out. Um, bless him. But um, again, relatively speaking. Ju- just, just to be the smarky F1 fan at the moment, he oh. ran over the curve at Radion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, King. Plus one. <laughs> <laughs> Johnson, he's gone full. He's the full Radalon Eau Rouge guy right now. He, he, he is that guy. What guy? That guy. But um, Magnuson again, very lucky to be able to walk over that. Because if you see the replay of the accident, the head support behind Magnuson's car completely flies off when he hits. That was scary. When he yeah. hits the barrier, and the the FIA has obviously seen that's not what that's not what should be happening at all. So they've, I think they've already carried out they're carrying out an investigation as to why that happened. Um, hopefully, we'll get some answers on that one because that's a that was a very that was probably the scariest part of the accident. Yeah. The head the head support just went completely flying. It was found 15 feet away from where the car stopped moving. Um, but, yeah, yeah, like it's a, it's a weird situation because you know I think his helmet actually struck the headrest, but like the headrest mm. has to be the headrest has to be fixed to the car, but it has to be able to be removed without any tools. All right, so yeah, it has to be kind of easy to remove in case a, a driver's probably trapped or something. I'm I'm figuring. Um, yeah. logically speaking so yeah I mean it was a massive massive accident luckily Kevin relatively speaking is okay he was sent to hospital for some precautionary checks um, turns out he was released the same day just a sore ankle according to Kevin's own Twitter um, again all smiles all around best news to come out of that week, race weekend for sure um, as we mentioned safety car was deployed race was red flagged as a result to, to fix the fix barrier it was about a 15 minute delay to fix the barrier now 
we saw the controversial nature of the red flag rule come into play, like we saw in Australia earlier this season, where you're allowed to work on the car in a red flag situation, um, including changing of tyres. Now, what's the, the biggest benefactor here for Lewis Hamilton, who won driver of the day for finishing third, um, was the fact that the cars had already, a lot of cars had already gone through the pits to put on new tyres, obviously because of a safety car. They're thinking, oh, maybe, maybe we can turn this two-stopper into a one-stopper. And then they red flag it so that effectively their pit stop is now affected. They've lost track position now yep. because they can't they, they can't get that they can't get that pit stop back anymore. And the big winners in that were were Lewis Hamilton, who was eleventh, and all of a sudden he was now running fifth. And Fernando Alonso, who was running fourth from the back of the grid, and all of a sudden have been able to put on soft tires and benefited from all the other runners in the field putting on fresh rubber, and they could start effectively a brand new race, so to speak. From fourth and fifth, <laughs> uh, King, I was not amused at this news. <laughs> um, I mean, them be the rules. Like that's all I can say. <laughs> them like, be the rules, bro. Because like, if if you watch, you know, I know we we're gonna talk about this later. If you watch IndyCar, like that's a common thing. Like yellow flag comes out, it might as well be like a whole new race. Basically, yeah. I mean, we we'll, we'll talk about that in in from from, from Texas later, but uh, it it was a whole new race essentially. And Hamilton had basically been given a fresh start from fifth on the grid, and much to Johnson's fury, he ended up making light work of Nico Hulkenberg to eventually finish in third. That, like that was the highlight of Hamilton's race, passing Hulkenberg twice. I mean, Johnson will never be best pleased about this, way. <laughs> I just love the fact that that was apparently enough room to win driver of the day. Yeah, well done. You beat your Force India twice, who beat you off pit road as well. That's why he had to pass him twice. He beat him in the pits as well. Twenty first, like 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 King. We should be like we should be like ultra impressed with with the ability of Lewis Hamilton. He was able to go from twenty first to third while only passing four cars. Uh, He's a genius. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. He's in a Mercedes, though. I mean, he is, like, the best driver alive. Like, Yeah, it kind of helps, you know. <laughs> Hashtag ham best capers. <laughs> has, has, best. Like, apparent, apparently, you can't not like Lewis Hamilton, but still, you know, acknowledge that he's one of the best drivers in the world. <laughs> I, I, I've been saying that for a year and a half. Why, does it, why do people listen to you and not me on this, King? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, here's a serious point, though, guys. Mm. I mean, before the race, everyone seemed to be really making a big deal out of Hamilton going to the back. Mm. And I was saying all along, I'm expecting him to finish maybe second. I was expecting a podium easily. And even afterwards, like Andrew Benson in his report for BBC Sport, he said, few people predicted that Hamilton would get a a podium finish out of this. I said, (laughs) I was just sitting there thinking, please don't tell me I was the only one who thought that. Seriously, we've seen Hamilton start at the back or start from disadvantaged positions before. When Mercedes are just that good, he's probably guaranteed a top three or at least a top five, no matter where he starts, isn't he? As long as everything runs well on the car. I'll give you some examples. Hungary 2014, started from the back, spun on the opening lap, finished third. Germany 2014, started from the back, finished finished third, one position, like like one DRS zone away from beating Bottas for second. You know, it's it's happened before where a Merckx has had to, was had, like, was actually, like, for some reason, strangely enough, in Hamilton's case more often, where they've had to drive from the back and Hamilton salvaged podiums on multiple occasions. So... Like, I don't know why people are so surprised that Hamilton was able to get on the podium, especially given he is one, 
the best driver in the world. Two, drives the most overpowered F1 car we might have ever seen. <laughs> and three, all he had to do, like, basically, he had all the hard work taken away by the red flag. So... Yeah. Like, yeah, cars falling off on the opening lap. Uh, he had the red flag. It seems yeah, that people, like, number one, people overestimate how well the Red Bulls actually are. And number mm. two, think that since Red Bull's doing good, everyone else in the field must be, you know, somewhere near them. When you got to realize, like, most of the other field, most of the rest of the cars on the field might not even be there to lose Hamilton. Yeah, exactly. Like the top, the top six in the field right now with with Red Bull, Mercs, and Ferrari are so much better than everybody else right now. That like the top six is almost its own separate race at this point. I mean, like Hamilton came out behind Hulkenberg after his second and final stop, and he was two point three seconds behind Hulkenberg. He passed him two laps later. I mean, like, what is the point? Like, what are we really <laughs> talking about, Hamilton? Like, I've I had no complaints if Alonso won Driver of the Day, given that you know. We like underdogs. I voted for Nico Hulkenberg personally in, in, in fourth place. I think it was just to appease me because I was in the same room as him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to do something to make up for your I had to do something to make up for your shitty mood. <laughs> but um, actually I wasn't that I, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't that displeased with Hulk. I was like, well I know it's it's uh, <laughs> it's it's unlike I was like I know it's probably unlikely he's going to be able to keep the podium especially after the red flag I was like well the podium's gone but hey fourth and then fifth my other boy Perez I'll take it it was it was about as good a day as Force India could have had they took I mean Dre you use a phrase sometimes correct me if I'm uh, wrong on it um, they took pretty much all the points they that were available to them on the table pretty much uh, you use I. I I don't know if it's a specific kind of phrase you use, but that's the kind of thing that would like for, that yeah, was about as good a race as Force India could have expected, surely. Especially as it meant they're now ahead of Williams in the constructors, which was enough to make Brother Ryan uh, defect permanently <laughs> from Williams, which I thought was hilarious. Yes, yes, he no longer supports Felipe Massa. He is now apparently a day one Ricardo fan. To um, <laughs> much, much to Ryan King's bemusement, because he hates the Daniel Ricardo bandwagon like a passion of a thousand sons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> next, next thing you know. Oh, brother Ryan's gonna be like I've been repping HR I've been repping Daniel Ricardo since HRT <laughs> that's exactly he did what try we, and claim that we were like nah yeah, we, we were on the way to the pizza shop and he, that's exactly what he tried to claim unsuccessfully <laughs> yeah yeah that's exactly what happened basically so uh we're all delighted, but hey, props to Force India, their second best ever weekend as a team. The last time they had a day as good as this was Bahrain 2014 when Perez got on the podium as well as Hulkenberg finishing in fifth. But a really, really good day for Force India. I've said it before, best team and best team in Formula One pound for pound for me. Like the, like the fact they are now ahead of Williams and could finish fourth overall this season is a tremendous achievement for this team that just keeps finding a way to get better and better. It's um, they are effectively the best independent team in Formula One right now, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think so. I mean, Williams has been very uninspiring the last four or five rounds. I mean, they've completely fallen off the top three where they were for the last couple of years. They've slipped massively. I've said it before. I don't think people enough are talking about that enough. Quite frankly, I think I think it's gone under the radar a little bit. That. Um, that's uh, what I was going to say now. That it's, it's gone off the radars. It's not been talked about enough that Williams was like a top tier player challenging for wins a couple of years ago, and are now maybe not just falling behind um, 
the top, the top, the other big three, but also Force India and McLaren are starting to bear down on them now. Where like people are still acting like Alonso in the points is a surprise. It's not. <laughs> like I know that was Alonso's best performance of the year by finishing in seventh, but like. <laughs> Why are people surprised that McLaren is scoring points now? They've massively improved compared to last year. <laughs> because They're finally starting to get some returns on investment. Because they, they want to be surprised because they want to see... They want a McLaren return to be a return to the podium, not a return to the points. Yeah, standards, I suppose. Standards and practices, I guess. But um, let's talk a little bit about Nico Rosberg real quick. Um, we have to talk <laughs> about this. Like he, like again, a dominant win from the front. Very, very easy for Rosberg, and didn't have to worry about a damn thing all day long. Really, like I've never seen a race winner get such little time on the hard <laughs> camera. <laughs> I, I think ever in, in a Grand Prix but yeah, again his sixth win of the season that's it, That's matching his career best for wins in a season that's his sixth of the year he's now the 16th member of the 20 win club in Formula 1 he is now joint 14th on the all time wins list with Kimi Raikkonen and so much to the 90s fan Shaglan Mika Hakkinen so, yeah. yeah so 20 wins and you know every, everybody loves like, every, everybody loves Mika Hakkinen he's, he's like the real people's favourite um, <laughs> in, in a world in a world of Schumacher fans uh, get a guy that can be both basically and that was Mika Hakkinen um, <laughs> oh, he, 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 he just up at King's house <laughs> 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 but um, that's quite the achievement, Mr. King. I mean, this, this is all yours, man. You, you can take this one. Okay. <laughs> like, talk to your people. 20, These are your people now. 20 wins is great and all, you know, tying a two-time world champion. Mm. But I, I still want that world championship under Nico Rosring's belt so bad. So it's, bad. It's, it's, the, it's the validation. Like, like nobody really wants to be the greatest to have never won a title. I don't care what you Sterling Moss fans want to tell me. You would have traded most of those 16 wins in for a world title. Don't even... Like, like, half of them are just mad that Moss legitimately gave a title up because of his sportsmanship. <laughs> I don't know. Can I just say, Dre, it's, it's funny you mentioned about that because we were talking about this... Uh, uh, on Sunday, mm. and the more you do the comparison between Nico Rosberg and Sterling Moss, the more it holds up. And I'm not just yeah. talking about the fact they both drove for the Silver Arrow. And they're both company guys. <laughs> and, and they're both company guys, absolutely. And they were both thoroughly outclassed by their teammate. Like, Sterling Moss had to deal with one by more Fangio as a teammate, and Fangio beat him 3 0 head to head in their respective careers. And Rosberg is currently 0-3 against Lewis Hamilton head-to-head in their respective careers so far. So. Basically, both of them have had to deal with being really, really good, but being teammates to want probably the best of their generation. Exactly. And and therein lies the big problem with Nico Rosberg. I mean, <laughs> I mean did, did, nobody really wants to be the best that's never won a world title discussion. I mean, look, look, at, look at MotoGP. Look at Danny Pedrosa who's won 28 top-flight MotoGP races, and he hasn't got a world title to his name. And this is his 12th year in the top class. I mean, that's just... Like, like, there's, there's that kind of, like, you don't really want to be that guy, really. Uh, it's like, can I just fluke a world title instead like Kimi Raikkonen did? <laughs> no? He's basically <laughs> going to end up being F1's Mark Martin. <sighs> that just sounds like all kinds of miserable to me right there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't want that. But again, props to Nico Rosberg. I mean, 
again, fuck anyone that is booing him on the goddamn podium. Like, why is this still Oh, a my thing? God. Like, is it? Is, like, was it- Seriously. I-, I love the fact he's just so polite on the podium. Like, he he's get- it's getting to the point where he'd be well within his rights to pull, like, a willpower double bird on the crowd. <laughs> or just go full Bret Hart on them. Just be like, you guys never supported me. Kiss my ass. Yeah, it- it's just a mark of Rosberg's character that he doesn't do that. Yeah, he's he's far too polite and, you know, too much of a class act to really, you know, do something like that, which is which is a damn shame because it's just so utterly disrespectful for that to be happening in Formula One. I've never understood why somebody would pay two, three, four hundred quid maybe to go to a Grand Prix, to stand there on the home straight. right next to the podium and boo somebody who's you know risked his life for your entertainment i i I, it gets on my fucking tits that this is still a thing like like, i thought we got over this in 2013 when sebastian vettel got booed for 10 straight rounds when multi-21 happened and it it took martin brundle literally calling the fans out during the podium celebration and a bunch of very prolific names in F1, like Ross Braun, like Nico Rosberg, like Lewis Hamilton, like Jensen Button, all coming out saying, this is getting ridiculous, this has got to stop. It's just, it makes the sport look bad. And it took, that's what it took for it to stop. And we're getting this now whenever Hamilton wins, whenever, like, this is not driver specific. This is just happening now, every single round. It's happened with Hamilton in Austria. Now, that might have been the track announcer's fault. It's happened, you know, it happened in Britain. It's happened now here with Rosberg again. And I, I, I don't, for the, like, are they just mad that Verstappen didn't get on the podium, given that it was just his fault? Like, to, to me, it's, like, to me, I want to say it's generally the fans are frustrated with the sport as a whole. In what sense do you I, say? I, mean, I don't know. Maybe the competition? I, I feel like that's being charitable. Yeah, that it's that it's lack of competition. That when when you know the guy who always succeeds, it feels like uh, when your guy doesn't succeed, it's it's more like he didn't succeed because he got screwed over by someone else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are dealing with a situation. I mean, I said before, a lot of Red Bull's dominance between 2010 and 13 was kind of a myth. Like, it really wasn't as straightforward as, oh, Vettel dominated for four years, won all these titles. You know, it was, it, it was trying to kill the sport. <clears throat> Game Riot. <clears throat> uh, in, in many arguments, me, me and him had over the years talking about this. Where, like, the actual reality was Red Bull dominated for maybe a year and a half out of the four, whereas two of the seasons were ultra-competitive, two of the most competitive seasons we've ever seen in Formula 1. But in this case... Mercs have only lost seven times as a team in this hybrid era since 2014 began. We've had 51 hybrid era races. Mercs have won 44 of them. That that is a run of dominance we have never before seen in Formula One, where two and a half seasons now, they've looked practically unbeatable to the point where Merck's winning a Grand Prix like is like one to ten odds every single weekend. You have to you have to gamble a tenner to get back eleven quid. I mean, that's how. I mean, look at this. The fact that we were talking earlier about Lewis Hamilton starting on the back row of the grid, and we were, we none of us were surprised that he still got a podium. The like the the odds on a Hamilton podium finish on Sunday was five to four, barely even money. Like like the bookies did not want to take the chance on this because they they know just how good this car is. They know how overpowered it is, and then like. I get 
if you're frustrated, if, you're, if you're frustrated with the sport, then that's perfectly understandable. Booing the drivers is not going to solve the problem. Like there are better ways to outlet your frustration. Like hack Will Buxton's account or something. There's there's better ways of doing this. <laughs> We're not condoning that either. Well, <laughs> but I don't like the drivers being used as the outlet of frustration. I get it. The drivers are the you know, they're the relatable side of Formula One, and even that's debatable sometimes, given how you know there's an evident dis- distance between us and drivers on that kind of interaction level. I mean, it's not like IndyCar where Hinchcliffe can wish me a happy birthday on Twitter, and that's like the, that's like the highlight of my day. You're not going to get that in <laughs> Formula One. You know, they're, they're like there is there is still that blatant divide there, and it's it's frustrating to say the least that that's actually still a thing. Speaking of divide and fans. Max Verstappen again. <laughs> this is the third round in a row I've got to talk about Max Verstappen. I, you know, it's I don't like talking about this because the story doesn't seem to change very much. It's just the context and the nuance that keeps changing. But we talked about turn one. We just about gave Verstappen the benefit of the doubt for that one. The feud with Kimi Raikkonen. I mean, King, you take the reins on this one because I don't even know where to go from here on this one. Oh, God, where Kimi Raikkonen said he, you know, for staff, was going to have a dangerous accident to the press. And yeah. Max Verstappen said that, you know, Raikkonen, as well as Sebastian Vettel, should be ashamed of themselves for those comments. They're, they're, they're ashamed. He said he should be ashamed of themselves for blaming this on me. Yes. And, I, and I'm like, wow, really? Oh, dear. It's like... It, it's... Oh, I, I, I can't put this into words because this is the kind of thing where I just want to... I want to blow up with uncontrollable rage and then you realise it just isn't worth it because... Max, I just, I, I just don't think he knows any better at this point. I just think all he's ever known is just really aggressive junior level driving. I mean, we are talking about a guy and that, success, yeah, and, and and success, and basically having smoke blown up your ass for the last two and a half years. You know where is this potentially, Dre? You know, we, we talked about this obviously during the race because it was getting to a point where I'm literally sitting there. Whenever anyone tries to attack Max, it was for 11th place. I'm literally going, oh, for crying out loud, he's nearly trying to run the guy off the track. I'm like, this is not aggressive. This is this is the sort of driving that if it was in NASCAR, he'd be put straight in the wall by one of the veterans <laughs> yeah. to be put in his place. Yeah, exactly. Like, like a complete lack of... Uh, yeah, and for me at this point in time, I think what's, what's frustrating, Dre, and I think we talked a little bit about this, it's just, it, there is, I mean... I love aggressive driving as much as anyone. That's why I really like watching Sergio Perez drive or uh, Graham Rahal. I love aggressive driving and I love confidence. That's great. I love a young talent. However, Dre, are we seeing here the cat, the the kind of chickens come home to roost, if you will, in the Verstappen has known nothing but unending hype and praise since he was about 15 years old. Mm. And he's because he is now being painted as the savior of the entire sport. He's the exciting shot. No one needs no one is daring to kind of tap him on the shoulder and go, you do realize there's a thing called driver mutual respect, right? And at the moment you're driving like you don't care if someone else gets hurt racing you. And that is one of the, in terms of driver etiquette, you know, driver code, if you will, that's one of the big unspoken no-nos. And for me, I said this to you, 
if Kimi Raikkonen, who's probably the most old school guy on the grid, mm. if he's saying you're being a bit irresponsible, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he did the MotoGP equivalent of standing the bike up on the apex down the Kemmel straight at 210 miles an hour. That was so scary. Like, I'm not even joking. Max was six inches away from a simply horrifying accident. He was... Raikkonen was six inches away from takeoff. Yeah. We, we, we would have seen probably something resembling Mark Webber at Valencia 2010, where he just flies over the back of Aki Kovalainen's rear wing. Um, I, I think one of the comments, I think it was before that it, you know incident happened, where, where Martin Brundle says on the commentary where he says... Max Verstappen doesn't know how to pick fights. He picks every fight. Yes. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. He like he's the kind of guy that even if you touch his, his juice box, he will punch you in the nose and he's unrepentant and he he will say it was his fault. He came towards me. And it's like it's it's frustrating. Like what frustrates me more is it he takes zero responsibility for these actions mm-hmm. either. He, it's always the other guy's fault. And whenever somebody calls him out on these situations, he'll go to, he'll go back and he'll come with some, some really immature remark. Like, like I remember when Felipe Massa did this, like, like a couple of, I think it was last year, when Massa says he's got to prove he's really, really good now because he's, he's, he's picked a couple of, you know, big fights here. Verstappen was like... It must have been after Monaco, wasn't it, where he yeah. drove over the back of Roman Grosjean. Yeah, exactly. And and, Massa said, and Verstappen says in response, well, look at you at Canada 2014 and what you did to Sergio Perez that day. And I'm like, that doesn't really hold up when you think about it. And it's always the other guy. Like you mentioned... That's oh, the classic sort of... Um, it's petulant. What's, what's the, it's like a sort of... Is it the straw man argument? You know, where exactly. it's just like, oh, well, you can't talk. You did something kind of similar. And it's like, well, no, we're not talking no, no, about no, that. That's an ad hominem argument where you where you where you don't argue you know you don't argue the argument you argue the person which you shouldn't do yes yeah 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 absolutely it's like andre you said something really pertinent i love what you said here you said if he's young enough if he's you know the whole saying of if he's good enough he's old enough to be an f1 right he's also old enough to take responsibility exactly he's a grown-ass man he's 18 years old by any by almost any law in any country he's a, he's a grown adult and i've I said this on twitter earlier today i said if he's if you're good enough you're young enough to which my response is oh don't worry about the accident it's only his age he'll get better you can't have this both ways you can't ignore the age of somebody coming into Formula One and then use it to defend him if he ends up not go not if he ends up not going to plan. You can't have that both ways. And I, I can't stand the fact that he's so petulant in these post race interviews where after Germany with Nico Rosberg where, you know, he was he breaked across you know, he turned across the braking zone, which Jensen Button said post race is the most dangerous thing you can do as a racing driver in a race. He's like, oh, look. he's been doing that for three races now. Do yeah, you remember ex- Hungary? Exactly. Yeah. Goodness me. He did it to Riker, and, 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 and then Verstappen said after the race, "Well, look what Rosberg did in Austria." And I'm like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" It's <laughs> like, like safe is always unsafe. Just because somebody else did it doesn't make it safe. <laughs> like just because just because this guy had an incident before doesn't make your incident any less or more dangerous. It's like it's it's an isolated incident. It, it's a fixed point in time. You can't go back and change that. And like. Verstappen, the most annoying thing about this to me is that he's not even been investigated for any of these incidents yet. 
And he's getting a free ride. The stewards have exonerated him of any and all blame. And I don't blame Verstappen for not changing his ways. He hasn't got a reason to right now. He wins. No. He wins these fights. He keeps picking. The stewards are letting him get away with it. So, and of course, you've got like you may have seen this during the red flag. He talks to Christian Horner about the lap one incident, and they're blaming Sebastian Vettel for it. Oh my god! <laughs> it's like like you could like they had the hard camera in there. You could hear what was being said, and they were saying it was Vettel's fault for sweeping around the outside when Verstappen is literally off the track trying to get past turn one. It's it's like it doesn't help that like I said, Verstappen is an incredibly talented driver. He's an incredible talent for 18 years of age. I will state I will say this to the cows come home. He's got a circle of yes men around him, a bunch of fans that are so gooey-eyed over this guy that he's never going to get criticized over it. I mean, let's be real. This is the guy who effectively his dad said, "Oi, Red Bull, give us a seat at Red Bull or we're going elsewhere." And they did it. They didn't even wait till the end of the year. They just demoted Kvyat, gave it to him next race. Yeah. That's all he's known. It's like, just, I want this now, it, and he's got it, it, it because he's that good, because he's the golden boy. He's F1's version of Richie Rich. He's a spoilt brat in terms of how he's gotten this far in F1. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Hey, take what, take what you're given at the end of the day. Like you get, exactly. You, like you get yours, but at the same time, you're not exonerated from driver standards just because people want you to do well. Like That's not how anything works in sport, and... As I say, the whole thing, it reminded me a little bit, he is starting to remind me now, and, and Joey Logano had this problem over more years. Um, obviously, in, in uh, NASCAR, Joey Logano had a few years. He was still the young guy, but he picked, He ended up picking fights with Ryan Newman, mm-hmm. Kevin Harvick. He was the sort of young, antsy guy who just didn't know when it was his problem. And he, keep, he kept going. Obviously, at Penske, he's been a lot stronger. But the whole thing last year with Matt Kenseth, ugly as it was, it was so telling that when Kenseth walled him at Martinsville, uh, in payback all the other drivers you heard on the radios after they all just said was anyone surprised because effectively what had happened is Joey Logano had been given a pass for dumping Matt Kenseth out of Kansas and effectively eliminating him from the championship and then the CEO of NASCAR goes on television goes on the radio and says that's exactly what our sport's about so Matt Kenseth sat there going well you ain't going to do anything about it because you think this guy's this young talent's the great guy and he's basically allowed to drive people however he wants so I'm going to do it myself. And that's where we heard talk of driver code in inverted commas. You know, the, the, like, it's the great, uns- yeah, the unspoken rules. It's, there is a respect thing. And I mean, I was thinking about this earlier. Think about back in 2012 where Vettel and Alonso are having their great battle. Uh, or, you know, we saw this last year in the British Touring Cars as well. Gordon Shedden coming through the field. Mm. Um, you know, people were not flat out just getting out of his way, but Shedden had earned that much respect. And same with Vettel in 2012. Both of those guys had earned so much respect in the paddock over the years that people were looking at him going, he's in the title fight, isn't he? I'm not. I'm, I'm going to pull yeah. through, but, is, but I ain't going to race you too hard. I'm not going to pick today because exactly, there's going to be yeah. some consequences. Let's yeah. be honest here. If Verstappen was in the championship picture this year, no one would be doing that at the final oh, round. They'd be sitting there going, Max, you like, can sit right there, mate. Like, I, I like to bring this back to what Dre was talking about, how he wasn't even investigated. Like this weekend, mm. the, you know, the three, the three Stewart panel stewarding the race had two former drivers. Go on. Who, who were they? <laughs> um, well, the first, the non-driver was uh, Dr. Jared Isner. He, I, I forget which race he stewarded before. The um, only reason was because there was a stewarding issue at that race, so I looked up who was stewarding. That's the only reason right. I know. <laughs> and who were the two drivers? So who were the two drivers stewarding this um, time? 
Felipe Giafoni, he never raced an F1. I know he raced an IndyCar. He raced he raced back in the IRL days from 2000 to 2006. Right. And the other one is also a former F1 driver, but he's also more famously known for what he did in Indy, Danny Sullivan. Ah, interesting. I see. Yeah. So, you know, Mr. Spin and Win. <laughs> Spin and Win. But, uh... Gone. Yeah, I mean, it, it is getting it is getting dangerous now, isn't it? It just feels to me like Max is basically driving as if he kind of doesn't isn't really aware of the potential consequences of how he drives, and more to the point, doesn't care. But there, there, it's there like is a real no sort of fuck you got mine kind of style of driving. Like, yeah, exactly. Max, he hasn't felt any yet. Yeah, and uh, I think Kimmy was on the money. I think it's going to take a horrendous accident for this to change, and that's and that's the for one him. thing you I don't even think that. I don't even think him causing a crash for someone else is going to get him to change. I think it's going to literally be a case of he's going to have to be involved in something horrible. I hope he doesn't get hurt out of it. Of course. And only then maybe something cuz it's it's one of those things. It's almost like a weird analogy, but it's almost like if you you've got a friend who's dating someone who's just no good for them, you can tell them that a million times and it's not going to get through to them. It's only when they get cheated on or get dumped or whatever that they kind of go okay dude you were right but you kind of have to have it happen to you but hasn't Verstappen already been in a pretty horrific incident yeah yes yeah Monaco last year that was one of them yeah yeah and uh he he hit that he hit that turn one wall at 170 miles an hour and that didn't do a damn thing so uh, can I just say I I, I have a feeling that that I'm going to call it right now that maybe by the end of this year, if not next year, Verstappen will be the next guy to be suspended one race, like Grosjean was in 2012. You've got to remember, he's got nine penalty points in his license as well. Yeah, he's got nine Absolutely. penalty points on his license, but this race he has he got zero for, and mm-hmm. like the stewards clearly show leaning towards not penalizing Max Verstappen. Yeah, it's yeah. I think that's obvious. It's becoming a thing now, but it's it's happened too many times to call it sheer coincidence at this point. But um, yeah, that's just it's just, it's just all kinds of frustrating. For us. Like, like we want to see Verstappen do well. He, he he is the future of this sport, whether we like him or not. And the he's, and we love aggressive driving. We we love oh, hard racing. I mean, we're going to talk about that in IndyCar at Texas. I mean, we all love hard racing, but there is a fine line between. Yes, and there's there's driving, racing someone hard but with respect and racing someone like you literally don't care about what happens to them if they crash because of what you've done. And when you've got Verstappen running people clean off the road, as he did multiple times at Lecom, uh, nearly as a, throwing some outrageous blocks under braking and at 210 down the Kemmel Strait, mm-hmm. dive bombing all over, it is literally getting to a point where you can tell, especially the senior drivers like Kimi, they're like, this guy just does not give a fuck about us. Yeah. And that is the fastest way to rub the rest of the garage up the wrong way. Yeah, even Nicky Lauda even said something where he said drivers mustn't, where, quote, drivers mustn't put each other in danger unnecessarily. He went over the limit when he sh- when he didn't need to. The boy lacks <laughs> the boy lacks the insight to see that he has made a mistake. Yeah. Mm, absolutely agree. Old, old man Lauda is coming out here teaching these youngins some new tricks. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'll, let, let's move on from Max Verstappen real quick. I want to talk about one one more little thing from this race, and that was the grid penalties that came up. And <laughs> back of the field after after the um, qualifying, Fernando Alonso that had to have an engine replaced in free practice one. They did that twice over. So Fernando Alonso had 
55 places worth of, of grid penalties. He actually very funnily took the piss out of himself for this one by posting a picture on Instagram with the grid turned upside down uh, <laughs> with Alonso and Hamilton in the front. Like, it, was like, it, was, it was a very 2007 kind of vibe I was getting there from, uh, from Instagram with Alonso and Hamilton up the front. And Lewis Hamilton, now, we, we got wind of this on Thursday that he was going to take at least one engine penalty um, at this Grand Prix and take 10 places as a result, but 10 quickly became 20, 25, 30. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to skip. It, it got to 60. 60, pla- <laughs> like 60 places of grid penalties because they replaced the engine, tw- the complete engine, I think, twice over, and they had a gearbox seal go missing. So that was another five penalty, five-place grid penalty. So Hamilton had 60 places of grid penalties. Now, normally we just kind of laugh this off and move on, but there was a key significant reason why why Hamilton took those grid penalties, King. <laughs> oh, I'm not specifically sure on the technical details of why he oh, I, wanted I to why. take... Yeah, sorry, I'll, I'll take this one. I, I, I get to sound smart. I get, I get to be the smart one on this podcast for once. Yeah, basically, it doesn't happen very often. No, it really doesn't. I'm normally just a charismatic whack job, but uh, today I get to be Captain Clever. <laughs> but uh, what happened? Okay, here's how this works. This is what I've read from Rachel Brooks and other people in in, in F1. For every engine that they used to replace the one that that was going through they get to use another version of the same engine later on in the calendar for free without a penalty. Oh, yeah. So if they upgrade the engine between now and the end of the season, then they'll have, then they'll have to take a group penalty at that race. But as long as they keep the specification the same, if you re- for every engine you replace that weekend, you get to use another one later in the year for free. So if you're a team like Mercedes who have a l- almost limitless pool of cash. They have, no, they have no problem replacing the same engine twice in a weekend. So now, Hamilton has only lost 10 points by finishing third. He's still leading the championship, and now he has three engines in the bank for the rest of the season. Yeah, because in theory, like in theory and actuality, it is the same engine. They're just rebuilding it. Exactly. They're just rebuilding using, using new parts to rebuild the same allocation. So... Essentially, they now have three new engines to play with between now and the end of the season. So three engines without penalty over the next, was it, there's only seven rounds to go now. Um, well, see, eight rounds to go, I should say, sorry. But the engine grid penalty factor, King, is essentially gone. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Like, when, like, of course, it, it doesn't sound as severe when you say, oh, he should have a 60-place grid penalty, but he's only starting from the back. Exactly. When I think the terminology is mixed up. They should, like, just call it a terminal grid penalty or something and just ignore the fact that it's, you know, quote-unquote 60 places. As we not, it's an interesting. They changed the they changed the rule at the end of last season because they were kind of sick and tired of McLaren having these stupidly high grid penalty counts almost every weekend. So they got rid of the rules. Before then, the rule was, if I'm not mistaken, if you had leftover grid penalties you couldn't take, you were given a penalty during the race. For example, I think it was a drive through at one point. There was a a, a 10 second stop go penalty. I think if you hadn't served more than 10 grid places, something like that. Yeah. Um, and they got rid of that for this season because they felt like it was unfair on the teams that way. 
So, of course, Mercs took advantage of this little loophole in the rules now, and now they've got three engines to spare. Uh, I don't know. Like, even if they would have had leftover grid penalties, they still would have done it. Stop and go, they still would have done it. They're Mercedes. Yeah, exactly. They're Mercedes. <laughs> Good way of putting it. They have all, They're Mercedes, and they do what they want. Yeah, and they, can, and, they, and they have the ability to make recoveries like this, and, you know... <sighs> Any hope you had of Hamilton not winning this title, I think, is pretty much gone now. <laughs> so, you know, enjoy the rest of this charity drive for the rest of the season. I'm going to watch IndyCar. For- oh, there's only two rounds left. Fuck! Oh, shit. Is- Damn it, IndyCar. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Formula E's coming back. Formula E's coming back. Oh, great. Sebastian Bremi dominates all of season three. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks a bunch, And Kate. they aren't coming back to London this year, which I realised as I was hanging out in Battersea Park today. I'm like, I missed the two London E-Prix. They're not coming back in. Damn it. But <laughs> guess who's coming to take over Brooklyn? Oh. Hey. <laughs> Formula E. Oh. Hey. Well, it certainly beats their terrible basketball franchise. <laughs> <laughs> it almost, almost makes it sound like Sebastian Buemi's going to be coming around to win and then Bobby Roode's just going to walk out and turn off his car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just, just standing in the middle of, of, of the main straight in his robe. Yes. Mm. <laughs> A very Ric Flair. But uh, that's pretty much all of the talk from Belgium. Let's talk about IndyCar. And IndyCar... Yes, fo- please, can we? Please, please, can we? Yes, can we? Yes. Can we? Can we? Yes, yes, we can. And after an 11-week delay, <laughs> we finally got to finish the Texas Firestone 600. Um, <laughs> this, this was a classic. And it, it wasn't for the first 170 laps, but... All I will say is, holy shit, that finish. Um, <laughs> uh, In reality, it was the final 10 laps. All nine laps. It was a nine-lap sprint to the finish. Um, we'll explain how they got there real quick. I mean, James Hinchcliffe had a rocket ship for a car this round. There is no other way of describing it. He had a comfortable multiple-second lead at the front of the field. No one could keep up with him except... For Ed Carpenter, who for all of a sudden seemed to think it was 2008 again. <laughs> Throwback Ed Carpenter was here, and um, Carpenter was back. He was in. He he worked his way up into second place. He was he was actually legitimately chasing Hinchcliffe down. Gap was about a second, but coming out of the pits on a fresh set of tires was Scott Dixon. And because Carpenter's tyres were used, he wasn't as fast. Dixon had the faster car. Dixon was desperate to try and unlap himself and try and get back on the lead lap. And bang, <laughs> basically on the on the home straight into turn one. And it's it's an interesting one, King, because like they they initially all thought it was Carpenter's fault boxing him in. The replay kind of showed Dixon may have pushed up a little bit. I mean, what's your take on it? Uh, like. I I want I want to put the majority like the majority of the blame on Ed Carpenter like that wasn't his first yes. that wasn't his first dangerous move of the race. No, Carpenter was very aggressive in this race. He was basically going full Sage Carum out here, um, which is quite funny when you think about what happened last season. But um, I, I tweeted during the race, so somebody quick, someone read, someone right read into the wall. You know he loves that. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Uh, but um, not like that, Nixon. Um, but I, I, I think Carpenter boxed Dixon in. Like, like there was no need for Carpenter to be in the middle of the track that close. In that situation, there was there was still about I think forty or so laps to go in the race at the time. 
it was an unnecessary move from Carpenter. I mean, you don't you like you don't lose anything by letting Dixon through. Hinchcliffe's on the lead lap here. Like, let Dixon go off to Hinchcliffe. Like, you don't need to race him. Um, but hey, Ed Carpenter, everybody. Um, maybe you maybe you can make the argument that racing justice was served about twenty laps later. But uh, Dixon Dixon was taken out. Thankfully, his wife didn't call the entire series a rig again. God bless her. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. But Dixon did come out of the car and gave us... We, we get, like, King, we had our first legit willpower moment. Uh, <laughs> yes, we had a legit willpower moment. Like, oh, God. I... I to be honest, Scott Dixon was like the last person I like I expected that from. Peter Perfect. Peter Perfect is hopped out of the car and given the double bird salute. I'm like, okay, Dixon must really be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> like, like a... uh, fu- fu- fun story here. Basically, uh, I had the journey home from hell Saturday night. It was so bad that I left uh, where I was. I was at a friend's birthday night out and tube let me down missed all my last trains phone completely died ended up having to get some ridiculous three-hour combination of night buses and walk to get home and as if it couldn't be any worse i literally got in as the texas race finished so but in the catch-up afterwards dre happened to mention about the, the whole thing with scott dixon flipping the double bird and i literally went you're kidding me scott yes. dixon doesn't flip the birds at people he's classier than that <laughs> he's he's clearly still mad about Toronto. Clearly, he's, he's, he's like it, it's all just spilled over. He snapped. Maybe maybe somebody kicked his dog or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, Dixon. It's probably because the, the fact that he's officially not in the championship contention anymore, which is unheard of. Yeah, yeah like Scott yeah, Dixon like, is always there or thereabouts. Yep, exactly. It's just not gone Dixon's way this year at all. And the salt kind of continued afterwards because like Robin Miller found him and interviewed him after the race. And Dixon said, and I quote, it was like Carpenter was driving without a spotter. <laughs> <laughs> like he literally like asked and he tried to be as sincere as possible and asked, was his radio broken? <laughs> 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 That's such a subtle D, isn't it? I mean, Jesus Christ. Can I just clarify, did you actually have eyes for that race? Like, like, uh, (laughs) oh, oh, Jesus. It was was incredible sass. Um, But, um, yeah, just an incredible, incredible moment there um, as, as, as Carpenter pretty much boxes Dixon into oblivion um there's there's i think there's there's something like like 27 like rate laps to go also so a lot of the field comes in for new tires hinchcliffe sticks it out on his on his fairly new but actually still at a disadvantage kind of set we restart again and then as if the racing gods had seen what had happened carpenter spins it and is out Mm. And we don't normally like the term karma, but hey. Okay, I hope the grid. I hope the grid girls and the IndyCar fan girls aren't listening to this segment. But there was a lot of people rooting for Red Carpenter to win this one, and um, I may or may not have smiled as Carpenter got out of his car. Like obviously, I was hoping he was okay. He was okay. Then I smiled. <laughs> I was like, but we all know. I mean, the fact of the matter is, both of those incidents were Charlie Kimball's fault. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it was absolutely Charlie Kimball's fault. Um, it's just, oh god, joke is that Rendrick wasn't is not going to die anytime soon, is it? But um, <laughs> Carpenter spins out. There's another yellow. 
Um, next thing you know, Michaela Lotion, who had overtaken Hinchcliffe and was able to get back on the lead lap on a brand new set of tyres, all of a sudden, a Lotion was the threat. It's like, will the Mad Russian finally win this one? They restart. A Lotion gets boxed wide. He's on the dirty side of the track. He spins out. So the <laughs> the biggest threat for the win in Michaela Lotion through no real fault of his own, has been taken out, <laughs> um, essentially. So there's another caution. Um, and that leads us to where we were talking at the start of this segment. There is nine laps Potentially to go. Potentially the, lo- the greatest last nine laps in racing history. Yeah, that, like to picture the scene, there is nine laps to go in Texas. There is only five men on the lead lap. There is a rule at IndyCar. In the final 10 laps of a race, the lapped cars are shuffled to the back of the field. So basically, the the guys that are a lap down or more are not allowed to interfere in this leading fight. And that, because Alexander Rossi was getting involved quite heavily early on in previous restarts, <laughs> even though he was three laps down. He had no chance of winning the race whatsoever. But of course, he has to just get in there and mess with people. So there was only five men who had a chance of winning this race. And realistically, it was only really four because Helio Cachaneva still had broken parts of his car as a result of the Carpenter incident. But so, I, ju- I just have to mention that hmm. restart, the, the back straight four wide. Oh, my God. Oh, my oh God. God. It's Four-way dogfight at this one between James Hinchcliffe, Tony Kanaan, Graham no, no, Rainbow. K- K- Kanaan, I mean, Hinch, Hinch had broken out a small lead. This was from... Oh, this second. is the first four-wide. Yeah. They went four-wide twice. Yeah, they yes. went four-wide twice. Yeah, there, there was one earlier Yeah, because it was the, the Castroneves, Pazano, Kanaan, and Rahal. And that was where Rahal actually got bounced between two of them. <laughs> yeah. It was basically 200 miles an hour pinball. Yeah. Somehow they all didn't like. Somehow none of them wrecked. I'm still astonished that no one wrecked as a result of those four whites. But that was another one. Superb driving, you've got to say. Stunning driving from everybody involved. That there wasn't an inc- it wasn't a humongous accident. Um, but there was another four white. It was the four guys that were eligible for really for the win, not barring Helio's damaged car, was James Hinchcliffe, Tony Kanaan, Simon Pagano, and Graham Rahal. They went four wide down the back straight, and and Pagano, in what may be a, what might be a championship winning decision, decided to back off. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's as if suddenly in front of him flashed his point lead and willpower <laughs> slowly gaining on him, and he just went, "No, no, 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 I'm not going to do this." <laughs> oh, Jesus, uh, it, it, it was. Can I just point out as well, mm. like NASCAR, a closed wheel and a more akin to like go three four wide whatever because hey they can bounce off each other and have less damage Mm -hmm. i've not even seen them go four wide as they did at texas in the indycar unbelievable mind blowing yeah like it was was greater than the five wide at fontana it for me it's greater than the seven wide at pocono last year just they were running that close to each other at 200 in a corner corner at 205 miles an hour and And let's be honest a track that for indycar is far narrower than pocono and fontana yes way narrower it's way narrower the banking is steeper it's it's all kinds of crazy and it went down right the way to the very last lap. Graham Rahal basically dive-bombed Hinchcliffe on the penultimate corner in a I'm coming through whether your car is here or not kind of manoeuvre. Like, <laughs> like, I'm going to sacrifice my car to try and win this damn race. And Rahal was... Because that's just what Rahal does. He's, he's fearless. He has no concept of the term fear whatsoever. 
None. He just dive bombs Hinchcliffe down the inside. Hinchcliffe is, you know, he, he's like, okay, I'm going to try and run this around the outside and maybe I'll get there. And he just misses out. If the, if the, if the finish line is maybe 100 yards further out, he might have just gotten there. But Graham Ray Hall wins. Leading a grand total of... Having started celebrating 50 yards from the line. Yeah, that, that's what would have cost them the win. <laughs> we nearly saw Motorsports' Lindsay Jacobellis moment. Oh, dear God. Like, because, like, I, I think... He started, I, he started pumping his fist in the air I, a good two seconds before he crossed the line. Yeah. And part of me just wishes I could hear his reaction just as he starts to pump his fist thinking, he's got it, he's got it. And then he just looks at his mirror as he crosses the line and sees Hinch's car dead heating with him. Die, just the sound laughing. of him just going... <laughs> like, no! I, I think... I think it was Paul Tracy who mentioned it. Like, you know, like sticking your hand, sticking your entire arm out of the cockpit adds like 10 pounds of drag on the car. <laughs> that's a very good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. I didn't realize that. Yeah, because so, they're traveling at 210 miles an hour over the finish line. That's going to make a difference. And Hinchcliffe very nearly got it. I'd say, looking at the photo, about 11 inches, maybe yeah. between, between rail and inches. Like, we're talking inches here. It was, it the, was the width of a front wing. A roof of a front wing, eight one thousandths of a second between Rahul and Hinchcliffe over the line. It is the fifth closest finish in IndyCar history and the closest finish in IndyCar since, I think it was Chicago yeah, in 2009. <laughs> The, the upside down transponder between Dixon and Helio Castroneves that that incident it's very funny like uh, like all the all these close finishes always have something to remember them by this one is like the Graham raised arm the, the last one was the upside down transponder like great like honestly like Greyhound looks like a fucking hero for that now but if he had lost that race on that fist bump oh my I would have died laughing as, as Johnson that would have been like your Lindsay Jacobellis moment right there and then. Now, for those of you know what I'm talking about, it happened in the, the, the Winter Olympics in 2006 in Turin, where she's about to win the women's snowboard cross. She's got a massive lead on Tanya Farida. She gets to the final jump. She thought, I'm going to stunt a little bit here. She goes for a method in midair. She misses the landing. She falls over, and Tanya Frieda goes on to win with Jacobellis demoted to second. And it is without question the funniest sporting blooper I think in history. <laughs> like I literally, I went from. I don't think I've laughed that hard at any sporting event. Uh, probably the only one that came close may have been the 2014 FIFA World Cup semi-final. Oh God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that was just sustained hilarity for 25 minutes of carnage. Oh, God. But I literally, that was the first Winter Olympics I properly watched because I remember I was very ill yeah. uh, at the time and I was I was off school. So I ended up watching a lot of the, the Winter Olympics, mm. mostly bedridden. And I just remember leaning forward. I really enjoyed Snowboard Cross. It's one of my favorite events at the very Winter fun. Olympics. Mm. And I remember thinking, well, she's just got this one in the bag. And as soon as I saw her stack, I just sort of looked at the top of the screen and saw the second place rider come into view and start to go... No, no, she didn't. Oh my Christ. And I literally just almost died laughing. Uh, if you ever, if you ever listen I... to the British version of that clip, it's 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 Ed Lee doing the commentary, <laughs> and he's the most overenthusiastic man on earth. He just screams, "Freedom, freedom!" It's like watching Mel Gibson in Braveheart all over again. It's just, uh, uh, we've, <laughs> it's just, freedom. 
It's like it's going to be played on American sporting bloopers for years to come. Like the British were just stunting on the Americans right there. Like, like that was our most patriotic moment ever, right there. We get a, we get a chance to take a pot shot at the Americans, and Ray Hall very nearly got caught hot dogging. Um, I think it was almost like a version of um, oh, King. You might be able to help me out with this. Uh, from a GP2, I want to say, race from 2003, Monaco. Oh, yeah. Uh, somebody slowed down to celebrate before the start-finish line, didn't actually cross oh, the finish yeah. line to win the race. Oh, my God. Yeah. Christ, that who was, was it? It's not Benal- it wasn't Benaldi. It. Um, God, I don't oh. remember. It was brutal. Oh, I'm sure someone will figure it out between now and the end of the show, but... Uh, the way we got there, and we, we, we can't say this enough, one of the greatest finishes I've ever seen. Bjorn Wordheim. Sorry in, to cut across you, yeah. Bjorn Wordheim. Okay. Yeah, there you go. That's 2003 one. Formula 3000 at Monaco. There you he go. slowed down to celebrate with his crew, but didn't actually cross the line. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was very nearly Ray Hall. Oh, so nearly. Again, eight one-thousandths of a second, Brian. But believe me when I tell you that the, the race is already on YouTube. The last nine laps specifically are already on YouTube. Please, whatever you do, I will not recommend this enough. Go out of your way to watch those final nine laps. It is without question some of the greatest racing you will ever, ever see. Like I, I said, I said to, on, on my race review on Twitter, I said, it's a 10 out of 10. Fuck conventional scoring. You have to see that finish. <laughs> like, just mind-bogglingly good. It's literally the case of, like, I mean, I obviously have a few clips that I show to people who aren't that much into oval racing yeah. or, you know, NASCAR or IndyCar or something. At, literally, at that point, you're never going to be into oval racing if you didn't find something to enjoy in those final nine laps. Yes. It is remarkable. And basically... <laughs> It was 200 mile an hour Kieran. Yes, um, basically. And Where's Jason Kenny when you need him? The, <laughs> <laughs> he was actually at Brands Hatch that same day, the same weekend. Yeah. Um, Crazy. But uh, that's why I had to come over and see you. If he turned up at Brands Hatch with Laura Trot, it would have actually broken the restraining order. I'd have been too close because I yes. live like five miles away from the circuit I, I, and I was restraining ones for 10 miles. So I had to leave Swanley for the day. I, I was doing you yeah, a favor. I had to leave Swanley for the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, it's just... <laughs> Wow, you can't like if you don't like oval racing after that, we can't help will. you. And if you still want to claim that it's boring and doesn't take any skill, get lost. Oh, you gotta watch you gotta watch that. If you think that takes no skill. If you think that takes no skills, you're just a hater. You're just a bitter, <laughs> like it's, bitter hate. It's hilarious. At this point in time, I basically especially from my friends who aren't into racing that much, I know I have them. Um yes. I literally have to explain to people what IndyCar is, and I basically yeah. say, shorthand answer, it's American Formula One, but better than Formula One. Yes. And then literally, like we were talking to someone last uh, at Robot Wars last night. Yeah. Uh, she's Canadian and we and mm. Dre just said, We've got to get her into IndyCar via the medium of Hinch. Yes. And that seems to be going well so far. And literally it was at that point it's I was working. like, Well, here's your introduction to IndyCar. The most recent race. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Where your boy was eight thousandths away from winning what would have been an in- one of the greatest IndyCar races ever seen. Yeah. Um, it's oh, like, you felt it's for him like after as well. Hinch led for oh. literally months. And yeah. three months. Yeah, three months. And Graham Rahal only led the last lap. Graham Rahal, <laughs> you, look at the, you look at the stats board, Graham Rahal laps led one, the final <laughs> lap of the race. 
That Graham Rahal at this point is like Edge, <laughs> just cashing in <laughs> at the last. And you know what? He cashing was, in on a downed opponent. You know what I hate? He was the smuggest motherfucker on earth when 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 he was when he was talking oh. about the win. He, like, it's, it's like he, it was just he was just he even he even took time out of his precious schedule of grandstanding to throw shade at Helio, and I'm like. You are such a smug git. You know that? (laughs) And then compare that to Hinch just down pit road. His boy Connor Daly, his bro Connor Daly had been on pit reporter duty because obviously he'd been eliminated Mm. from the first running of the race. So he was out effectively. He didn't even start. So they got him on pit road reporting duty. And I thought he did very well, I've got to say. He was amazing. Um, And he was one of the guys first on the scene to interview him. And you could just see like both were trying to be professional, but Connor just really wanted to be like, (laughs) bro, have a hug, man. Have a bro hug. You need it. Yeah, And you know what? Like The the sportsmanship on the sport. Play. Not from Ray Hall, really, because he was too busy celebrating, but Hinchcliffe and Kanaan <coughs> hugged it out really tight oh. after the race. And like Kanaan is a proper is a proper like driver's driver in that regard, where you know he, he supports other guys. And I know he and Hinch are very, very good friends and they have a lot of respect for each other. And you could see just how devastated Hinchcliffe was that he doesn't able to win. He led 188 out of 248 laps in a race that was delayed from the lead for three months and he's never looked as good in an IndyCar until this race right here and he finished in second I just oh that's <laughs> that's Hinch I, we're sending you hugs man yeah Hinch I, I we love you, you man it. and uh, <laughs> and especially Dre who's the full on Hinch fan here like I consider myself a, a Graham Rahal fan and even I was like no it, 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 it was four in the morning I was like wow what a finish and then ten seconds later, I just shouted motherfucker <laughs> yeah like it, it genuinely like first like if you don't watch in slow motion full speed first time you really think Hinch is gonna catch him yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think as he's slightly closer to the camera and the angle yeah, as they the come li- across the, the line just the looks live, like right. the live shot on the hard camera made it look like Hinch had gotten there, and <laughs> he, he, he just did. He just came up short, and he then he that. comes up on the results board <laughs> right like, off first, and you're just like, what? No, no, why? <laughs> it reminded me a lot of um, the famous NASCAR race in 2003 at Darlington, mm. where Kurt Busch and Ricky Craven are basically locked together across the finish line. That was 0.02 of a second, and the moment. And yeah, it's quite funny because they come across the line. Craven wins it by literally uh, about the width of a water bottle. And they cut to the camera that was down in the pits of Kurt Busch's crew. And you could tell that they assumed that Kurt was going to win it. So yeah. they cut to the, his crew expecting them to be celebrating. They're just there going, mother f- <laughs> damn it. And then they have to hastily cut you know, to Craven's pit crew to, you know the, what, on the hard camera down the other end of pit road. You know what that was? That was the replica, that was replicating the most heartbreaking, one of our most heartbreaking scenes in F1 history when Lewis Hamilton wins his first world title in 2008. Oh, oh, God. When Philip, when, like, like, Somewhere Skellington's just been triggered. Like, to, like, like, <laughs> but like the race director has got the shot of Felipe Massa winning his, his, his seventh race of the season. <sighs> He's over the line. At that point, he is champion. And the, the, they cut to the Massa pit crew, and it's, it's it's potty. They've lost their minds. They think, yes, Massa, because his whole family was in for the Grand Prix for the finale. Home and then there's break. just this one guy who gets in and goes, it's, no, no, it's, no, it's, no. It's his dad. No. It's his dad. Hamilton, Hamilton finished sixth. It, it's his dad. It's like, <laughs> his dad's like, wait a minute. They, they, they've forgotten. They've not seen it. Because off the hard camera, Hamilton's past Timo Glock. He's up to fifth. He's won the world title by a point. And then the whole, the devastation 
Nation in the Ferrari crew as they cut to McLaren and they're losing their minds. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. And it's literally that point you just see the faces drop <laughs> like, in the mass of pit. It's like, wait, wait. Like the one thing I, we lost. The one thing I won't forget what? is that that Ferrari mechanic in the background just 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 flipping out when he knows that Moss is lost and he knocks the sign off the wall. Oh, he knocks the sign off the wall and then like Nicole Scherzinger's in there. She's bawling her eyes out. Like Anthony Hamilton's bawling his eyes out. And the McLaren team's gone crazy. And then Felipe Massa pulls up in Park Ferme, having won the race. And he just cries his eyes out because he, for 20 seconds, he had it. He had it. It was right there in front of him. He, like we thought, this is it. He's going to be world champion. And he just balls. He balls like a baby. And I mean, I don't mean that in an insulting way. It's like. It's 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 just the most heartbreaking scene in the world when Massa was just there and it, oh, it reminded me a lot of that. But again, Kanan was yes. a proper pro about the whole situation. It was a little bit like Latala Mohammed at the Taekwondo oh, in the Olympics this God. year. He lost the gold medal match in the final second of the final round. Kiki should have seen that man. It was yeah. a Taekwondo. <laughs> He's got it. He's got the gold medal, and then he hits a spinning head kick at the, at the last second and. Great Britain don't get the goal and it's like Latano can't believe it it was the most incredible thing ever oh, I felt so sorry for him because he was crying after he was like I'm sorry to everyone I feel like I let everyone down he stayed up to watch and I'm like you have not let anyone down son seriously <clears throat> don't get that thought out of your head right now <clears throat> well <laughs> he was a, he was a bit sloppy on that last second I have, I have to say anyway <laughs> before I get you're a harsh motherfucker be- Drake before I get killed by a bunch of Olympians um, let me run down the, real, the, the grid order real quick Graham Rahal wins by like I said eight thousandths of a second um, over- that's about hmm, let's just time that that's how long it is <laughs> like I said he won that race by about 11 inches that's what we're talking about and with cars moving at 210 miles an hour that's how close that was um, eight thousandths of a second James Hinchcliffe in second like I said he led 188 of the laps in that Grand Prix and did not win oh dear Tony Kanaan in third Kanaan Kanaan's had a fantastic run of form and not talked about yet he's not won a race this season yet but only Will Power has scored more points in the last seven rounds than Tony Kanaan has. Old man still got it, even at age 72. We mentioned him earlier. Like we mentioned him as well before earlier. Simon Pagano, who um, very wisely backed out of that um, big four wide at, uh, at turn three later in the race there. He took the championship points, um, I think, very wisely in this instance by finishing in fourth. Helio, as we said earlier, had a damaged car, could not c- compete with that top four for the for the win. Finished in fifth instead. Um, decent Kimball in sixth place, the best of the lap down runners. Um, there's a Kimball in sixth ahead of Carlos Munoz. Will Power in eighth key for the title race there Montoya who did nothing all race long finished in ninth ahead of Sebastian Borde Alexander Rossi 11th Marco Andretti 12th Ryan Hunter Ray who was leading the early periods of the race um, his car just seemed just, just to get worse and worse as the race went on he was botting them out everywhere just another wretched bit of luck for Hunter Ray this year in terms of the ovals um, 14th Gabby Chavez Max Chilton in 15th and then we get to the 
retirements. Michaela Lotion, as we said, he, he, he was taken out via contact with Jack Hawksworth, Polynesia's finest. Ed Carpenter, he had a collision. We mentioned he had a collision on his own. He spun out by himself. Um, he, he, he took out Dixon, who was 19th. Not now, Sato had an engine problem in 20th. And as we, of course, mentioned earlier, Connor Daly and Joseph Newgarden were not allowed to continue the restart because they were the only two DNFs in the original running of this race back in June. <laughs> but again, props to Conor Daly as well. He was so good as a broadcaster. Good Lord. Um, so, so good. But, um, yeah, it reminds me of when his dad was a pit reporter. Yeah. <laughs> Very much And so. a great co-commentator, actually, for Cart. He was yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. He also came out with one of my favourite ever commentary lines, which was after the famous incident with Paul Tracy spinning at... I want to say Edmonton, yeah, was Edmonton. and then rejoining and wiping out Alex Tagliani <laughs> and then oh, you yeah. just hear Derek Daly just go that is the dumbest thing I have ever seen <laughs> that is the it's dumbest a- thing I've seen Paul Tracy do yeah, it's, yeah. it's like the only thing that Connor lacks from his father is the Dawson Irish tones yes. oh, it's just wonderful isn't it the line that they goes is like Tag wants him Tag wants a piece of Tracy and next thing you know the two Canadians are scrapping in the middle of the pit lane like literally like, it's still one of the funniest moments in Motorsport history because of how much of a complete idiot Paul Tracy was but on to a little bit of other news and as I'm sure you're well aware in the gaming world F1 2016 hit the shelves wait at the end wait of the wait week. one second oh, we got oh. a championship picture two races left oh yes yeah actually you, you make a very good point there Mr. King yes um, I was got, got a little bit ahead of myself there um, yeah we it's easy to forget this in IndyCar, but we've only got two rounds to go now in the championship. We've got Watkins Glen this weekend, and then t- in a, just under three weeks' time, the grand finale, the, the double point finale, may we add, at Sonoma. Yeah. Um, 100 points available for race win on the final round. So anyone within 150 points of Simon Pagano is technically still eligible to win this title. So that's but, everyone down to ninth place in Carlos Munoz. Yeah, so everyone... Sorry, Kimball, bad luck. Um, but uh, <laughs> the top nine are all still eligible for the championship at this stands but Simon Pagano has a 28 point lead over Will Power Pagano with 529 power sorry Pagano with 529 power with 501 Tony Kanan has now lifted himself up into third place with 416 for Chip Ganassi racing in the number 10 car. He's ahead of Helio Castroneves. He's one point behind um, Kadan. Helio in fourth with 415. At Newgarden, who's now going to make up for his lost round. He could not finish in Texas. He get, He's on 406 in fifth. Scott Dixon, probably out of the running now. Um, he's on 397. That's a mere 122, actually 132 points, I should say away from Simon Pagano. Uh, Graham Rahal, with his win, bumps himself up into seventh place with 394 as the top Honda in the championship now, ahead of James Hinchcliffe on 392, and Carlos Munoz, who finished seventh, in, in, in very quiet seventh there, in 382 in ninth. So those are your nine championship contenders going into the final two rounds. Any one of those nine names I just mentioned can technically still win this title. Yes, even you, Munoz. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, F1 2016, Johnson. How have you found it so far? Hmm? Uh, so far, first impressions are this is probably in the top three of the best Formula One games Codemasters have made. And up until oh, now, my two, my two <laughs> favourites have been Formula One 2010, the, the first yeah. proper one. We're not sure Great. we count F1 2009. No, we don't um, talk about the F1 Wii 2010. Game, <laughs> no. Or the PSP one. Um, but F1 2010 was superb. Really good game. And it kind of felt like 2016 was going back to that vibe of 
not just having i mean 2015 basically we agreed was a magnificent tech demo for yeah. a great game engine there was just no game there mm-hmm. was barely any features there was barely no content what content there was there was mostly broken i.e online so that's why it got such a backlash which is a shame because the core game itself like the driving physics the graphics and everything fantastic and so this time around it's clear that they've said well you know what let's still polish up the graphics and the, the physics where we can but let's bring back what we did so well in f1 2010 which is not just have a career mode but properly immerse the player in the lifestyle of being an f1 driver let's have the backstage the behind the scenes stuff the conversations with your agent the phone calls the chats with your engineer and team boss and upgrade points and development tokens and rivalries with your teammate all little things like that and to be honest with you the fact that my first career mode race weekend session lasted about two hours even though i was running on 25 percent race length was incredible and i love the fact that they've brought in I, i think in a move influenced by the milestone um MotoGP games where you get development <laughs> tokens for you know where you get development tokens for um running laps in practice yeah. f1 2016 has kind of taken that and gone well what if we also make these kind of entertaining mini games in the practice session so for example uh if you want to do a qualifying hot lap um whatever simulation thing go out there hit a lap time under the target time there's ones for tire conservation which i actually thought was very interesting because you've kind of got a run laps under the target time but also keep the the bar sort of in the middle or off to the right so you're not abusing the tires too much all really interesting to be honest with you so far i've really enjoyed it it's been very very good i have to say dre do you agree one of the best coder masters f1 games I'm not really sure how much of a compliment that is, given a lot of them were stinkers. But um, in in any case, yeah, it's definitely it's one up of there the, with 2010 and 2013. Certainly, it's, it, it's one of the better F1 games they've made. Yeah, I mean, online is still a little bit ropey. The AI is still terrible. Unfortunately, I still can't stand the fact that they are basically they are complete chickens, and they will run off the track the moment you show them a piece of front wing. <laughs> um, they are still incredibly conservative. I still think. The AI is too like the distance between AI difficulties. I think is still too big. I absolutely um, agree. I, I mean, that- I had an issue in my first career mode race where, going into it, I was racing on expert, yeah. and I was about a second and lap slower than my teammate. So right. I bumped down to hard, and I accidentally ended up winning the Australian Grand Prix for Haas F1. <laughs> yes, I kind yeah. of beat the Mercs, and I'm like, yeah. Are you serious? And on paper, Haas is like the seventh best team in the field. That shouldn't be happening. And yeah, I've always had this weird problem where with a pad, like I am too good for expert and will constantly punch above my weight in expert because I used Renault in my career mode. They are a tier three team. So they are one of the worst teams you can pick. They are the ninth best team on merit. Um, But I finished like fourth, seventh, and third in my three career mode races I've done so far. And on expert, and that's on expert difficulty. If I bump it up wow. to legend, I'm I'm at the back. Um, yeah, like, I could, uh, there's about a second and a half between difficulty levels in this game, and that's an enormous amount of time. I would rather. And it's they funny because they've actually introduced no. another difficulty level at the top called ultimate, or as I call yeah. it, TMET Marduk mode. Um, yeah, like it's 
like ultimate difficulty is like a second and a half faster than legend difficulty like ultimate is for literally the best of the best it's it's for people like noble basically at this point yes. um it, like it's not meant for for regular souls like you and me um and again that's like legend but with another second and a half thrown in it's, yeah, so, it's ridiculous so they didn't make it more nuanced by adding a new difficulty they just added like instead of like oh instead of you know adding more options they just you know put 11 on it basically yeah they, they had, it, it was the spinal tap of difficulty in games <laughs> We'll, we'll keep the previous ones the same. We're just going to add a seventh one in there just to just to fuck with some YouTubers, basically. Um, like ultimate, like I said, it's, it's about a second and a half on top of Legend, and they've got a new very easy difficulty level in there as well for complete amateurs. Which again, if you're playing the level, then what's the friggin' point, quite frankly? But, um, <laughs> what are you doing even playing this game? Maybe you should go back to Wii Sports. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Like I, I, I wish they would have a Project Cars like slider where. Like there is a much more variable range of difficulty, something that, you know, feels realistic, yet you can still, you know, fight above your means if you are good enough. And I know that's that's kind of a difficult thing to really do and to program and code, but the the current difficulty settings that there is so, it's so hard to find a happy medium because if it's too easy, you're going to win a race by half a minute. And if it's too difficult, you're going to be constantly defending from faster cars for the entire Grand Prix. And that's not fun either. Um, I was That was basically the backbone of my YouTube career when I was doing it with Sauber, where I was qualifying really well and finishing second and have a bunch of rampaging Mercedes and Ferraris and McLarens behind me every single race. That still annoys me. The game's handling model, though, is really nice. I like the fact, like, again, the, the career mode, I think, overall is pretty darn good. Um, I think it's about as good as you can make an F1 career mode realistic. I love the customization. You've got a proper physical moving avatar now. No female, which is a little bit of an annoying option that they don't include. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, that's annoying. I'm I'm, I'm a bit disappointed. If Milestone can do it, there's no reason why Cody's can do it. So disappointed there's no female driver. I like the fact that you can have your own custom number and helmet. That's a nice touch. Um, The resource points and how development works is excellent. You know, you get points, again, for for taking part in practice-based minigames. We mentioned this earlier by taking part in more sessions you get more points you can go down any one of five avenues for development like the engine to downforce working on the drag of the car working on engine efficiency and down the road you get more interesting options like you can stop development on your car altogether after singapore uh, whereas you get 25 percent more resource points if you if you stop development on the car but obviously the main downside being is you cannot develop the car anymore that season. So if you want to go for the big season two increase or the big next season update instead, or if you're confident about where your car is, you can stop altogether for a bonus. Little things like that are, are quite good. And again, the crew rate is excellent. The game the gameplay is excellent for the most part. I think the, the handling model is very good. The cars are very enjoyable to drive. The AI is still terrible, but... Again, that's just Cody's being Cody's at this point, really. The online is still a Which little bit weird, given how good the AI is in the grid games. I really yes. enjoyed the grid autosport AI, very aggressive, but you felt like you could race them, kind of like the Forza AI. 
Yeah, it's like the best AI is the AI you don't notice, in my opinion. Mm. And the ones that, ones that, like the F1, where that's just so conservative, that is what I don't like. And um, like that, but overall, I'll have a full review of the game out on YouTube later this month. Probably like early September, I will have um, a review of the game out in full. I've got to dust off my brother's old laptop and wire up my capture card again for the first time in over a year. But um, oh, I, the nostalgia. Yeah, the nostalgia. Yes, indeed. But uh, I will be doing that very soon. So keep an eye tuned on the YouTube channel for that as time goes on. But overall, for what it's worth, if you're an F1 fan, it's definitely a game worth picking up. It's about as... Realistically... It's about as good as a Cody's game they can realistically make right now. I would still like to see them try and get extra content in there, like the number 2013's Classic Edition. Oh, that was brilliant. Without all of the older cars, bonus tracks, a proper scenario mode. Like, that was the most complete F1 experience they've put out on a disc ever, in my opinion. So, So that, I think, is still the standard they're trying to chase. But the foundation is getting more solid by the year. So hopefully next year... They'll tidy up some of these issues and have. I think 2017's got potentially the best F1 game ever. I hope so. I mean, I think if they yeah. listen to the community like they did this year, to their credit, then I think they're in, this. This game was definitely a step in the right direction. In any case, so um, more on that in my video later this month. That just about does it for this episode of Motorsport 101. I hope you guys enjoyed the three of us back together. Again, if you want, if you want to find us anywhere, again, you can back us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We are on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. I really should post more on there, to be honest with you. That's, that's kind of my fault, really. Um, we are all individually on Twitter at Harrison101HD, at AJ underscore Bombersports, and at Ryan Eric King. And of course, for exclusive content, including the Dre Brief series and video highlights to the podcast check us out on youtube at youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 and i think i can say we have just crossed 900 subscribers so thank you all very much for for the support on there as well so thank you very much for that so on the way to on the way to our first thousand that'd be pretty cool yeah um yeah thanks everyone for for backing us on youtube and and supporting us on there we're very much grateful for it so until next time I've been Andre Harrison, he's been Adam Johnson and Ryan King, and I'll see you guys next time. Sayonara. Woo-hoo! Need a gutsy! You are the world!